Welcome into the week two edition of Talk of Champions. He is former Alabama quarterback, now analyst Tyler Watts. Welcome back, man. A big win for Alabama in week one. Yeah, yeah, it was a good win. I think everybody was pleased with the performance overall. You got to see the quarterback situation kind of play out. You saw that Jalen Milrow played well. He didn't turn the ball over, made some explosive plays with not only his arm but also with his legs, which we knew, we knew he could do. But most importantly, he didn't turn it over. He put it on the ground, didn't throw any interceptions, didn't force it. you got to take everything with a grain of salt. We talked about that last week with Middle Tennessee State. But I still think that they're a pretty good little football team. They'll win six, seven games this year. So it was a good opener for Alabama. Okay, we'll break down that game, look a little bit more into what Milrow and the Tide did, and talk about the big one with Texas coming up this weekend. Talk of Champions brought to you, as always, by our friends at MyBookie. MyBookie.ag is a better you demand perfection, and MyBookie delivers that. NFL college football in a brand-new cash-out system now where, say, you've got a three-team parlay. You've won the first two. Maybe you're not feeling good about game three. You can go ahead and cash out. You can do that with our friends at MyBookie. The season, all season long with MyBookie, comes with no strings attached. And right now when you use the promo code next round, you can get a deposit of $50 and add on up to $200 in cash. With next round is the promo code MyBookie, MyBookie.ag, promo code next round. Okay, you said good things about Jalen Milrow there. You sort of knew what you were getting with Jalen Milrow. We talked about that last week. What are some things maybe we haven't seen Jalen do yet? Uh, could he have a bigger – this is what I'm asking. Yeah. Could he have a bigger role in running the football against Texas? Could he – a little bit more design run? All right, so I, I don't believe for one minute that Alabama threw the kitchen sink at Middle Tennessee State. Okay. I think that they have a package or two that they've kind of kept in reserve waiting on this game versus Texas. So we could see some more called runs and things of that nature. But I, I think ultimately – when you feel that you're better than your opponent or that you're equal to, you just got to play your game. You, you don't get gimmicky. And I think that this offense is going to be at its finest when Jalen Milrow is playing within the system, allowing the players around him to do their thing, distribute the football, and then when things break down, then he takes advantage of it. He's, I don't think he needs to be the center of this offensive attack, though. He doesn't need to, to run the ball 20 times a game. He needs to take what the defense gives him especially on passing plays, that's when he's going to be most effective. You've, you've had first starts before. and this, To me, I count this as his first start. Texas A&M, you know, he was filling in for somebody. You've had a situation like Jalen Milrow before, um, and you can be overwhelmed by the moment. Tell me about his poise, what you saw with how, uh, how he handled everything and just controlling the team. <laughs> well, everyone's going to point to the bad set, uh, snap by Seth Mc... not yeah. McFarland, golly. This in family guy, um, <laughs> McLaughlin, where he, he very calmly retreated back, picked the ball up off the ground. He didn't try to throw it away. He, he recognized that he was going to have plenty of time, and he did what he does, which is good. And Chris Stewart loves to, to point as soon as, as soon as the ball goes over his head or rolls past him. He's like, touchdown. Because yeah. the, the play's broken down at that point, and, and, and he can just be an athlete at that right. point and, and react. That's, that was good. Um, I thought that he got better throughout the course of the game in the passing attack. In the first second quarter, he might have been a half step behind on some of his passes and needed to be out front. They were a little bit behind. But as the game progressed, he got a little bit better and better. And moving forward, he's going to need to because the ability of a receiver to catch the ball and then advance it because it's thrown where it's supposed to be is going to be critical moving forward. And you can't allow a five-yard pass to be a five-yard pass. It needs to be an eight- or ten-yard pass because of the yards after catch. Yeah, yards after catch. And when you're uh, explain that to people like me who didn't play the game, you can throw a pass to where you, 
uh, the perfect throw at that point is so I can catch it and run with it after the catch, right? Sure. It's not where I have to stop and catch right. it or reach behind me and catch, right? That's exactly right. So this this little goofy shuffle pass that they do in the backfield. Right. I mean, how crappy would it be if he threw it by his knees, he caught it, but he <laughs> fell down. Yeah. Or, great, you got a completion, but you got negative two yards. It's right. all about the yards after the catch. And well-placed balls are very important because they they require, they make the defender be exactly where he's supposed to do, be. You have much more room for air when it's where it's supposed to be, and it allows the play to advance. Yeah, and that, uh, that helps the receiver too, right? Builds that confidence, and they know they know they run a crisp route, the ball's going to be where it's supposed to be. They're not fearful of going across the middle, running into traffic, because they know that they're going to be protected. Yeah, and so that was another good thing. Uh, you know, it's easy to sit in row you know, 22, section NN, and sit there and look down. That's and, where my wife sits. What the uh, heck is the she? irony right there. She whiz. <laughs> to, to look down and you see a receiver that looks open deep uh, almost every play. But what Jalen did when he did throw the deep ball, he threw it very well. I mean, some people underthrow him a lot. Some people overthrow him a lot. He seems like he throws a deep ball. Well, it's a, it's a two-part deal. All right, the, the receiver ideally would love to be able to create some separation. And, and last week versus Middle Tennessee, these receivers were able to do that. When they got a one-on-one situation and the safety wasn't in the picture, they created a step or two. And he does throw a nice deep ball. He's got a really strong arm. He gets good height on it, and he allows the receiver to run under it. Uh, he doesn't throw it out of bounds. That, that's key. He still left one or two passes inside that were uncatchable or where the defender kind of – you know, walled off the receiver. But there's always room for improvement. But but he's better than Quinn Hewers was last week at the deep ball. Yeah, and, but it, it's not as easy to throw the deep ball as fans think it is, right? Well, no, it's not. Yeah. Because you're throwing the <laughs> you, Your receiver is 15 yards down the field or 20 yards down the field, and you're throwing to a spot 40 to 45, 50 yards down the field. It takes time. There's a lot of chemistry, right. timing that, that, that people talk about. That's what it is of – not trying to put the ball in a certain place, but just naturally feeling it. That's what good athletes do. They don't think about it. They just react and they feel. Yeah. That's, it, it reminds me a lot of putting when you're on the surface, right? You can read a putt and stuff, but you still got to feel it. Like, it feels like if you make a long putt, you, you sort of feel, you know, see it, you see it instantly on where it's going to break. So I sort of get the same feeling. You you know where you're supposed to throw it, but you can feel the speed and everything. You yeah. almost know it's perfect when you let it go, I bet. Me and Andrew used to talk about this. Andrew's out used to talk about it all the time. Don't try to put it in a certain spot. Just trust your arm. Yeah. Just, just throw it out there. You know, God gave us this right. little computer inside. Trust it. Yeah. Don't question it. It's an amazing thing. Roback.com, our friends at Roback. Great gear for game day, for golfing. We were speaking of golfing, anything. Roback.com, Roback.com. Use the promo code TNR. On the screen there, TNR is the promo code, TNR20 actually, TNR20 saves you 20% at rowback.com, TNR20, that promo code. Okay, so there's the quarterback. Um, I'm, I'm going to say one thing, and you tell me why I'm wrong. I'm expecting a lot from the offensive line, and I go back to one play, and I, I, don't, I don't grade them, but I wouldn't give them an A grade because it, it's third and short, I think, down on the one, inside the one or whatever, and Jace runs into the line. They don't blow him into the end zone. They don't score a touchdown up the middle. Jace ends up bouncing it out, walking it in. But it just didn't. They just didn't mow down Middle Tennessee like I think every Alabama right. fan thought they were going to do. That's what you're used to. So right. pad level used to be extremely low. We used to fire off the ball, and we used to blow people off the ball. Um, ball was placed at the two. Offensive line pushed back to the one. That's where initial contact was made. So we did it. Push them one yard. And in years past, there would have been two or three guys in the backfield, yeah. from my experience. So he has the ability, though, to keep his feet up under him and bounce it out. 
yeah, you'd love to see him go five yards in the end zone with no contact. But that Middle Tennessee front was pretty doggone good, especially when they know the run's coming. We saw it last year. And in short yard situations, everybody's pinning their ears back and just getting shooting gaps and trying to get into the backfield. So it's a bigger challenge. It is a bigger challenge. But they did get an initial yard push. That's better than what they've done in the past. That's an improvement then. Tell me somebody else who, who jumped out for you. You're on the broadcast with Eli up there. Um, I'll, I'll shy away from star of the game, but give me somebody else that uh, sort of impressed you. In well, Trez, Trez Marshall, number 17, the linebacker, was a guy that I kind of highlighted, and I really think that he's going to have an outstanding year. Uh, he didn't make a ton of tackles in the game, but I thought he, he disrupted a lot of offensive plays by shooting gaps. He's really quick, and he has a knack for being able to get between the A and B gap and get into the backfield and make things happen. And that could be huge this week. But Deontay Lawson is the guy that, that is going to be – I mean, he's, he's the bell cow, this, this defense. He's the dude that can run sideline to sideline and really disrupt plays. And that's pivotal. That, that's crucial because if the back end is doing their job and he can kind of monitor and run sideline to sideline and keep everything a three-, four-yard gain – uh, they have a chance to be really good. He, he did not disappoint. You, you no. highlighted him going into the week, and a lot of people saw our, our talk of champions here and were talking about him. So everybody was focused on 32, and he did not, did I thought, not disappoint. I thought that he played well, and I think he's going to have a huge impact on the success of this defense. And then Caleb Downs in the secondary, he's kind of my hero right now. I like watching him play right. because he is so aggressive. And with what Middle Tennessee State was doing, going sideline to sideline, really spreading us out, running us, making sure that we were disciplined on the exterior, and then forcing our DBs down. Man, he was in run support so hard, and he did a really good job of open field tackling. Had very few missed tackles in this game, very few penalties, which was very impressive. So hopefully this is a more disciplined football team. But seeing him come down in that run support, I, I enjoy watching that. Yeah, so Alabama gets a big win. We'll talk Texas in a second. But first, tell us about the Watts Agency, something you do when you're not calling Alabama football games. Yeah, that's right. I'm an insurance salesman. I'm an independent insurance agent here in Birmingham in our agency. There's eight of us there in the office, and we love helping people out with their home and auto insurance, small business, commercial. Uh, we also do a little bit of life as well, so love an opportunity to talk to your people, 205-822-5477. You always look at me when you say life insurance. Because I'm near the end, right? Oh, no. I don't want to sell you any life insurance. I don't want to play that, pay that claim. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Okay, Texas is coming to town. Last year they had Bijan Robinson. And I felt like in game planning going in with Bijan and the Longhorns last year, Alabama went in saying they can't, Bijan can't establish the run. He can't beat us. And I felt like that freed up a little bit of their receivers early in that contest. Okay. There's no B. John Robinson anymore. If you're if you're scheming against Texas this weekend, who do we who do we have to stop? Who, what where, where do you where do you start? Well, first and foremost, you always have to start with the run. But I think last year also it was a young offensive line for Texas. We were anticipating the defensive front for Alabama really being able to control the line of scrimmage eliminate the run with just four or five guys in the box, and then to be able to apply pressure with those same four or five people. It didn't happen. I thought that offensive line last year played well in pass protection. Now, granted, their quarterback got hurt because they didn't pick up a, a stunt, but overall, had a, had a pretty, <laughs> only takes one bad play. I mean, it only takes one bad play, right? But, but overall, I thought he played well. Um, I don't anticipate it being any different this week. Because most of them are back. They are, and they're going to be a little bit improved. They're big, they're strong. That's the matchup you have to be able to take it away. Texas wasn't able to run the football effectively last year. They did have some one-on-one -on -one shots. And guess what? Those opportunities and those looks are going to be there again. Uh, the difference is Quinn Ewers was hitting those last year. And can he do it again? That's, that's the big question. If you ask everybody in the country, they're going to say, no, he was 0 for 7 last week. He stinks now. 
But I still say I have to trust my eyes. He was effective against us last year, and until he proves me otherwise, I'm scared to death of him. Yeah, but that becomes a great matchup, right? Because if you just look at the room, their wide receivers may be the best wide receiving room Alabama faces all year. They're it, that good. With one-on-one situations, they're so fast. Uh, Xavier Worthy is a guy that, I mean, he, most times when a receiver creates separation, it's a step at the college level. This guy was five steps ahead of us. And it was an overthrown pass in the back of the end zone. It ends up resulting in a field goal. And that's the difference in that ball game. Five trips inside the red zone, 19 points. Unacceptable. He hits a couple of these deep passes, though, to these receivers, and it's, it's a whole different story. And, and this could be you know, what we're dealing with here. They have a, a Donna Mitchell, I believe is yep. his first name, from transfer from Georgia. Yep. He's got a touchdown pass in each of their national championship games, and now he's at Texas. Hey, why not transfer? You know, yep. that's just not enough for him, I guess. That's right. <laughs> um, but, but he's made an, a, a big impact. And then, and then also Jordan Whittington, who, who got several catches against Alabama last season. So you have a, a room of guys with speed, the ability to run crisp routes, and when you put them all on the field together, you can't concentrate on one of them because you've got several dudes that can beat you. Yeah, so a lot of people, somebody will be on an island every time, but you offer Your help. corners are. You, corners are always on yeah. an island, no help over the top, can't, can't help them out. Well, you're going to have some help. I'm okay. not going to say that, but Sark does a really good job of putting pressure on a defensive guy right? and forcing him to make a decision, makes it simple on the quarterback. He does X, you do Y, he does A, you do B. It, it's simple, and he draws it up probably better than anybody else in his ability to create the big play and get the ball a lot like Lane Kiffin, get the ball to the guy that he wants the ball to go to. Uh, you know me, I'm, a, I'm the worst-case scenario guy, always am. Um, last time I saw this type of receiver-quarterback combination, to me, especially with the play caller, was Tennessee last year, Knoxville. And we know how that ended up for the defense and some open receivers and stuff. Is that a fair comparison? Do you see a little bit of what Tennessee offered last year to what Quinn and these guys can, can I think, offer? I think the attack is different. You know, Tennessee is so fast-paced, which really requires your communication in the secondary to be spot-on. And if you are a little bit delayed in getting a call, you're looking around, curious what the other guy's doing, you have to do something, but you're not on the same page as your safety, it can result in a big play. I don't see Texas doing that. They're a little bit more precise in, in trying to set up the big play as opposed to we're just going to go at such a fast pace, it's eventually going to happen. Alabama got beat last year versus Tennessee because of 15-16 penalties and blown coverages in the secondary. And if you can eliminate those things, and hopefully Kevin Steele has been able to do that, simplify things a little bit, allow the athletes to be athletes, just play ball. Yeah, that was a, that was a positive. Again, this is Talk of Champions brought to you by our friends at MyBookie, mybookie.ag, for all the games and all the lines. Remember, use promo code next round to get a little extra money on your deposit, mybookie.ag. Um, it seems like... Penalties were down. Jaylen two penalties. Played, yeah, two, penalties two penalties last week. So, I mean, that's, you know, I know it's only Middle Tennessee, but those are still penalties that even against the Middle Tennessee level teams last year, Alabama were making a ton of penalties in those games too. So yeah. that's, that's an improvement. It, typically in the first game, you're going to see a lot of minimal mistakes. You're, you're going to see jumping off sides. You're going to see false starts, holding, because it's a little bit quicker pace than what you're accustomed to in practice. Face mask. Not being in position, not bringing your feet with you, therefore you reach. It didn't happen, and you know, and you hope you knock on wood that it doesn't rear its ugly head this week versus Texas, because you need to force the play of your opponent to beat you as opposed to your mental mistakes beating you. Yeah, ton of penalties in this game last year too for Alabama. Okay, here's a question. I always love these type of questions because I think they make Tyler's head explode when I ask him this. But Steve Sarkeesian, 
was in Alabama's football building for a long time. Nick Saban and Steve Sarkeesian know each other. You've played against former assistants back in your playing days. Is, is there an advantage for either coaching staff knowing the other coaching staff, or is that a wash on game day? Are you, is there a time in your history you're able to pick up something they, they were calling on the other side? How does that work as a player on game week? I, I don't think it's necessarily an advantage nor a disadvantage to anybody. Yeah, they're familiar with one another, but it still comes down to the players on the field making plays and not beating themselves. I always liken it to this. 90% of every time that these opposing teams are going to line up, they know what the other guy's going to do. They recognize that there's tendencies involved that they don't really change from week to week or year to year. They're the same as what they are. They watch hours and hours, hundreds of games, scouting these different guys. They know what's coming. It's a matter of execution. Getting in position, doing what you're supposed to, and doing it well. Do you, do you change terminology? No. No, you can't change who you are. And you think about this. I mean, if, if you had to speak Spanish tomorrow, you couldn't pick it up just because you just practiced it for a week. And it's the right. same thing here. You can't – defenses can't really learn offensive calls and things of that nature. They're going to pick up on tendencies throughout the course of the game, especially if they're consistent with the offensive line or, or with the quarterbacks communicating to the wide receivers. But, you know, those things you, you do kind of have to self-scout to make sure you're not being too – have too much of a tendency. So if Jalen calls something – or Quinn he hits the side of his head every time and runs a fade. Everybody knows it's coming or a slant yeah. or whatever. Yeah, but you if Jalen calls an audible at the line, there's, there's not any terminology that Sark has shared with the defensive room. I doubt or, it. or when Quinn calls it, that you know Nick and the guys I doubt say, it. Sark always calls this. He calls I doubt it this. it. Although, here's why, and I don't know this for a fact, I'm just assuming, because every, any offense I've ever been a part of, it evolved from year to year. There are certain things that you're constantly adding on, trying to improve upon. So there are certain things that are going to change, little nuances that are going to change from one year to the next, even when the system remains the same as it has in Tuscaloosa for the last 15, 16 years. Yeah, interesting. But it's not as easy as Lucy and Ricky, right, left and right, when you guys are calling out plays. Give me a play call. Do you remember one? Ringo, Ringo, <laughs> Ringo. Do you remember a play call? Yeah, but, you know, even what we do, we, we, we used to call four plays in, in the huddle. Oh, the huddle. That's when the dudes got together. Yeah, you, you know, remember that in the old days. It's kind of like my, my, the new guys that I got working with. We had to teach him what the routing number and the account number was on the check because he said, I've written one check in my life, and it was to prove I had a checking account. <laughs> well, this is what that is. Well, the huddle, we used right. to call four or five plays in the huddle and then get up the line of scrimmage and choose the best one. Now they're so multiple in what they do. Uh, they get to the line of scrimmage, and they, they so much of it's now option anyway, so it's all kind of built into one play. Yeah, you know, maybe so, you have a run, maybe you have a pass call. You you take what the defense gives you. I really don't know. Yeah, so it's one play that can be three different things, depending on the option. Could be if it, if it's if it's a read pass option or run pass option, uh, definitely could be. Did you ever run the wishbone back in high yeah, school man, or any level? Look, there ain't a soul in Alabama that didn't run the wishbone in high school right. at some point. Yeah, and it, but you know what? That's good for you because it, it teaches you to make quick decisions, force pressure a defensive guy. Um, I, th- I think it's invaluable. Yeah. How, how it, it teaches you the basics, makes you understand blocking schemes and things of that nature. How much of the RPO has some of those tendencies there? The concepts are all the same. Who you're reading is different. Right. What you're doing is different. The action, the motion in the back in the backfield. But the concept's the same. And, and, and it can only change so much with 11 guys on, on the field, and there's not so much you can do. But offensively, how do you put pressure on a particular part of the field or a particular person on the defensive side Make him be wrong. That that's the key to it. Have something that makes him be wrong. Yeah, interesting where we are in football now. So much in the quarterback's hand, and I do feel like nationally and even locally, 
people feel more confident about Alabama now after seeing Jalen Milrow in one game? Fair or not? Fair? And what's different? We Nothing. talked about it. We talked about it last week. The only difference in us having any concern about him coming in this year is his turning the ball over versus Texas A&M. He didn't do that last week. Therefore, we think he's the greatest thing ever. He still has room for improvement, but he's a heck of an athlete. And if he gets that confidence and doesn't try to push the envelope and be something he's not, and he doesn't play outside of himself and outside the system, he's going to be fine. He's going to have a good year. All right. My Watts agency question of the day here. Not about the Watts agency. But you don't have to pay extra for this. No, you don't. Sponsorships. You get two two this week. Uh, And I know it's hard because you're on the broadcast team. And, you know, me, I I know the program very well. So I hate to say anything negative. If there's one, I won't say say a negative. I'll say concern. What was one thing you saw last week that wasn't perfect? Because no game is perfect. What's one thing that if Tyler Watts could look into that Coca-Cola crystal bottle that Nick Saban held up this week and say, I would like to make this better, what would it be? Better last week than what it was last year with communication in the backfield, the back end of the defensive side, fewer busts, but they still had two or three busts. Oh, so wide, wide open receivers were roaming around the secondary. The quarterback didn't have enough time to give them the ball, or he didn't see them. Uh, that's always a concern is because in a game like this, if you have three busts, that could be 21 points. That's right, because they may have the protection with a great offensive line and a quarterback that gets them to those receivers and it becomes an easy throw. Tell us about the Watts agency, and then I want to ask you about uh, other college football stuff before we get back to Alabama, Texas. Full-service insurance agency. We are independent. And right now in these challenging times, that's kind of important with with so many uh, companies either not writing business at all or increasing your rates 20 30%. It's a good time to call us. We, We can shop the field for you, so to speak, put you in the best deal, not only from a call standpoint but also a coverage standpoint. Remember, there's always two ways to save money, at the time of the transaction or at the time of the claim. And it is something that you don't need. You don't have to understand it, but call us. You can trust us. We're going to walk you through the process, make sure we're taking care of you and your family. 205-822-5477. Give it to me again because I walked on it. 205-822-5477 or go to TylerWattsInsurance.com. Were you surprised by LSU Florida State? Um, I was surprised I couldn't watch it because I'm down at the beach and my wife had to Watch it on her phone the other time. Appreciate you, Charter and, who, and Disney and whoever else. But um, yeah, I think you were a little bit surprised. Are you more impressed with Florida State though, or less impressed with LSU? I was more impressed with Florida State. I That's think it, fair. I, I think LSU will be fine. It was a close game for a half. Yep. A couple of mistakes. You got to take the points early on. I don't know why they didn't. Would it have mattered in the game? Don't have a clue. But I've always been under the impression if it's third and less than two or three and you can't get the first down, your offensive line doesn't deserve an opportunity on fourth down. You take the points. I've always felt like Nick Saban since he's been there, and some people call it the NFL NFL attitude, attitude, take the three points. Especially now. You're limited on possessions. You don't know what that opposing offense is going to be able to do. Yeah, And and by the way, that's not saying he's conservative. I mean, the man kicked an onside kick in a national championship game. Uh, he'll, He'll go for it on fourth down if he thinks his line can pick it up. But like you said, they had a couple of opportunities. Why are you going for it there? What's the flow of the game? Yeah. Is it necessary to go for it? It's not on the first and second possession of the ballgame. You take the points. You don't want your offensive unit to be demoralized by having an impressive drive and walking away with no points. Yeah, absolutely on that one. Clemson, and we're good friends with Dabo Sweeney, mm-hmm. uh, one person in the transfer portal. That's all, he, that's all he picked up. And they go to Duke and lose 28-7. to a lot of people blame their offensive woes on the offensive coordinator and D.J. Uyunglele. New offensive coordinator and Cade Clemenick's the quarterback, and they still struggled offensively. 
What did you think of that game? I think I like most people. I was shocked. Shocked. But at the same time, when you turn the ball over, especially where you turn the ball over, things can snowball on you quick. And that could have been a completely different ball game if they're able to push the ball in the end zone inside the red zone as opposed to turning it over. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch this game either. So I'm not really. <laughs> so. But I watched, I watched five replays. Therefore, I, I'm an expert on it, right? Yeah. But, but I've been in certain ball games where you're doing 80% of everything right, but the other 20% you're making mistakes that are costing you the ball game. And it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. You, uh, can you feel an upset happening as it's going on? I think by the middle of the third quarter, into the third quarter, you kind of know that A, it ain't your day, or it don't matter how many adjustments we make on the sideline, they got our number. And there's some times where your opponent just plays faster than you, and I thought that was a situation with Duke. They just, they were getting after it, and their confidence continued to build and build and build, and it wasn't, hey, we're about to win this game. It was, we're going to win it because we're better than them. Yeah. People used to make fun of Gene Stallings a little bit because he had a great saying that the fun is in the winning. Uh, do you think it's getting harder and harder just to win games every week? It's always been difficult to win games. Yeah, Everyone's well coached. Everyone's got good players. Their schemes are solid. Uh, it's extremely difficult. And I, and I don't think we as a fan base appreciate the wins near as much as, as we should in understanding how difficult it is for these coaches and these players to come yeah. away with the W. Everybody, if Alabama's fortunate enough to win this game, they will fast forward to the next big game or the playoffs or can they can they win the championship? Right. Who's better than them? They won't take time to appreciate it. You're exactly you're exactly right about that. Um, before we wrap up on this, I want to ask you, your first broadcast, uh, was it everything you thought it was going to be? I it mean, was you, fun. You've dreamed about it for a long time. I have. I, I, I always... <laughs> I have done two games prior. I did the Arkansas game in 2007, and I did the Sugar Bowl. In fact, John Parker's last game in an Alabama uniform, I was doing the color commentating uh, when we got beat by Utah. And so I have had two opportunities to do that. But this well, is the first I ask, time. Can I 2007, did they beat Arkansas or did they lose that game too? We beat the crap out of Arkansas. Okay, thank that goodness. was Bobby so- Petrino's first year before he bought a motorcycle. So, yeah, he hadn't had things figured out yet. But then they didn't end the season good with that loss versus Utah. Kevin right. Steele was the defense coordinator. I think he left the next week to go to Clemson. Uh, anyhow, fast forward here 15, 20 years, I've had an opportunity to work with Eli, but it's been a long time. It's been a really long time. And it was it was fun. It was fun to – because it's like anything else. Everybody always asks me, were you nervous getting in there? Yeah, the anticipation, the buildup. I wanted to make sure I was prepared. I wanted to make sure I knew what I was going to talk about. I wanted to make sure I didn't get a fat tongue and, you know, yeah, Shelby County come out in me. Wanted to try to be professional about it, um, but once once kickoff started, once the broadcast started, you, you were focused in on what you were trying to do, and you just try to do it the best you can. And working with Eli, you know, he's coming back. He's gotten stronger every single week, and the good play-by-play guy, which I'm gonna have an opportunity to work with two of them, Eli and Chris Stewart. Man, they set you up. Yeah. They just set it, set it up on a tee for you. Was he um, was he emotional, Eli, coming back a little um, bit? He was a couple of weeks ago. I, I think he was ready to get this one under under his belt. And I'm speaking out of turn because right. we didn't discuss it. Um, but it's funny how the good ones are never satisfied with the performance. Yeah. And immediately as soon as the broadcast ended, it was, I could have done this better, I could have done that better. And even from a dude that's been doing it for 50 years. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Um, did you work in a uh, Johnny on the spot one time? Your dad, when your dad, people that don't know, 
uh, Herman, his dad, and I used to do high school football, Thompson and Pelham together, and occasionally he'd drop a Johnny on the spot. Uh, was that a one-camera shot, or two? Did y'all have two cameras? Oh, it's a one-camera shot. Technology wouldn't call it. You couldn't do two, couldn't couldn't two, do two cameras. Yeah, couldn't do two cameras. Oh, I think uh, for well, the first few years, I think it was just us on a phone line, audio only, on cable vision back in the day. So he would drop a, uh, for instance, D- Dallas Turner was Johnny on the spot. Johnny on the play. spot, no. Yeah. That, that, I put it in your head. You're going to say it this week by God, accident. I probably will. And then he's going to call me <laughs> up and be like, you try not to be like me, but you're just like me. <laughs> he will say that. All right, so the atmosphere will be crazy. I um, think so. I, there, I've heard rumor of about 40,000, 50,000 fans around the stadium without tickets is the expectation. Uh, you know, I think it was 120,000 more than the place held for the game of the century, so about half of the crowd outside of the game of the century, that many people um, that will be outside. That was a crazy atmosphere. The game of the century The game was. of the century was. I, I do remember that in 2011. Yeah, correct. 2011-9-6. Um, I was going to ask you. Um, they're not LSU fans. They're not LSU so fans. So it's not going to be quite to that level. Right. But they're more arrogant than anybody else in this, pl- on this, in this world. Okay. Uh, I will ask you, as a football player, um, better to be on the road in a game like this or home in a game like this? Um, I think that you could... Because people think that's a dumb question, Jim. You always want to be at home. You can make an argument for both cases. I think that it's less of a disadvantage for Alabama to be on the road in this type of environment than it is for Texas. They're not used to playing in this. Right. Somebody made the point the other day, and I heard it and never thought about it, but it's true. In the Big 12, them and Oklahoma have the two biggest stadiums. That's right. And outside of that, was it Iowa State or somebody else at 50-something thousand? Yeah. They're not used to this. And they go, and when they play each other, it's neutral site. It's neutral site. Yeah. Now, does that have any impact on this game? Probably not, because just like the broadcast that I was just talking about, once the ball kicks off, they're locked in focused. But it could affect communication and things of that nature for them, similar to what it does for us in Neyland Stadium or Baton Rouge or name any one of ten stadiums in the SEC that have that type of environment every single week. Yeah, it should be a fun game. It's Alabama, it's Texas, and uh, this is the Talk of Champions brought to you by the Watts Agency, brought to you by our friends at Roback.com, promo code TNR, our friends at Lance'sLock.com for all your information on the games you should play. And when you get that information, to MyBookie.ag, MyBookie.ag, promo code next round, get an added bonus up to $200 on a $50 deposit with MyBookie, MyBookie.ag. Man, good luck on the broadcast. And uh, we'll see you next week. Sounds good.